second there has to be complete freedom of or feeling of neutrality that person has no vested interest in you or your company or vice versa mm. and that is why whenever you are having a conversation it can be a very brutal frank honest conversation hi and welcome back to another episode of insights podcast series from axel i'm your host on daniel today as my guest i have manu kumar jain managing director for xiaomi india Xiaomi is a Chinese electronics company founded in 2010 and is a leader in smartphones, mobile apps, televisions and many other products. Manu walks us through the journey of setting up Xiaomi in India as its first employee and scaling it to become one of the best mobile brands in India in a very capital efficient way. There are a lot of valuable insights to be drawn from his story. Let us dive right in. I'm excited to be here at the Xiaomi office in Bangalore with Manu. Yes. Manu, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for hosting me. Awesome. So maybe let's start with some of the celebrities you've met. I always <laughs> see all your posts with celebrities and famous people. A few yeah. of them. A uh, few of them are uh, right there on the top of my list was to be uh, our uh, Prime Minister Mr. Modi. I've met him a few times. Uh, I recently met uh, Mr. Kapil Dev. Uh, we hosted him for a dinner. in uh, bangalore uh, and he was fantastic uh, he gave us uh, it was incredible how he could relate to a lot of things from cricket world to business world and draw similarities between them and it was very inspiring i wish i could have been there yeah. <laughs> uh, and in fact uh, he called me later on and we ended up chatting one on one for almost 3 hours after everybody was gone so it was incredible for me wow. uh, then i've met a few film stars um, including uh, ranveer singh yeah. who's our current brand ambassador Uh, I used to work very closely with uh, Katrina Kaif, who used to sponsor, uh, uh, who used to um, uh, be the face for one of our series in India. And I saw all those pictures. I wonder yes. how your wife liked those pictures. <laughs> <laughs> It was a tricky one, <laughs> uh, yeah. especially I took a selfie with Katrina. I, yeah, I remember. My team used to float that selfie around, especially when my wife was here. So it was a little bit embarrassing, but. Uh, it was great fun that's um, so i would say see some of the celebrities that i've met um, mm. i used to have a great relationship with uh, uh, then chief minister of andhra pradesh mr naidu he himself was extremely active on social media yeah i spent a uh, good quality time with him mm. and now i have a great relationship with jagan because many of our factories are there in andhra pradesh got it so i would have met many chief ministers probably half of the chief ministers in the country uh, some of the film celebrities uh, only one cricketer in my life which is mr kapil dev himself Uh, oh, I also met Mr. Ganguly once. So Mr. Ganguly yeah. and Sarwag. Uh, but uh, of course, they are very inspirational. But uh, the lessons that I learned from Kapil Dev were much higher, like, deeper. deeper. This is great. Yeah. Reason I ask is for the founders who are listening. You are very active on social media, and you balance that very nicely. Yes. So they could go and follow you and um, keep up the great work there. Yeah. So I want to start with uh, everyone knows Xiaomi in India. Yes. But from your perspective, from a business side, yes. Just talk to us a little bit about what you have achieved in the past five years. What's the scale of Xiaomi today? So yeah. Xiaomi, um, we started our India business. It's a nine-year-old company globally. Okay. So we are also a young startup. Uh, we started our India journey five years ago in 2014. Uh, I joined the company in May, and we officially launched our business in July. And we started. from a very small base not knowing where we were headed um in the beginning my office was my home 
Then it became a coffee shop next to Flipkart office. Then the first official office that we had was a small room, which could seat only six people. And I was the only employee. Wow. And it was a little bit embarrassing because people would come for a meeting and sometimes we would talk about deals worth 10 crores, 100 crores. And they would ask, where's your team? And I would say, I'm the India head and I'm the team. Yeah. There's nobody else. I would serve coffee. I would open the door. I would do almost everything. And in the beginning, people would think that we were a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> people would think that I would take away their money and run away. And no one knew Xiaomi at that time. Nobody knew Xiaomi. Which year was this? This is 2014, May. 14, okay. And people had no idea because Xiaomi was mainly present in China. Yeah. And the presence outside China was very limited. Yeah. So people would always look at me from a, from a suspicion, saying that I was doing something wrong. So that's how our journey started. Within three years, by 2017, we had become the largest smartphone brand in the country. Overtaking the incumbent brand, which was number one for the last six, eight years. Uh, today, in five years, uh, we are the largest smartphone brand, we're the largest smart TV brand, we're the largest fitness brand, and we're the largest power bank brand in the country. Wow. We have launched about 10 categories, we are number one across four, um, and very rapidly building business across the remaining six categories. Wow. Uh, we have also launched our e commerce platform, me.com. We are the third largest e commerce platform in the country today. Uh, after Flipkart and Amazon. Uh, we have launched many internet services, uh, including our OS, including our payment business, video services, music services, and we've also launched many IoT devices in the country. So okay. this is where we stand right now. Congrats, that's that's great progress. I want to go back to Xiaomi in a, sec, in a few minutes. Yeah. So let's start now with your background, Manu. Okay. Uh, what's your story uh, from childhood up? Like maybe. Yeah. So I grew up in a small town yeah. uh, called as Meerut which is in UP. And I come from a very unique family, a family where second cousins, third cousins, all of them stay in the same community, mm-hmm. uh, which a community which was built by my great-grandfather. We have a family trust, family temple, and many other things. So when I was growing up, I never, because I grew up with so many cousins, brothers, and sisters, I never realized that they were not my brothers. Mm-hmm. At school, if somebody would ask me, my teacher, that how many brothers and sisters do I have? I would, my answer would be more than 50. Wow. I just thought yeah. all these yeah. cousins, brothers and sisters are my brother and sister. Yeah. And over there, it was me, a trader community, mm-hmm. where the biggest aspiration that people would have is that you open a shop. You were considered successful in life if you open a big shop. Mm. Uh, and bigger the shop, the more successful you are. So you're very successful as by the no, I don't have a shop. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not <laughs> successful. <laughs> Online shop. Yes. yes. So uh, uh, that was that's where I grew up. Yeah. Uh, when I was growing up, I didn't know much about the world outside Meerut. Mm-hmm. I didn't know much about education system outside Meerut. I didn't know what IITs were. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in 12th, I had not even filled up IIT form because I didn't know what IITs were. Mm. And... Uh, I accidentally ended up filling up a form which was for UP engineering colleges, which I got through without studying anything. And when I reached over there, I got a computer science seat in a government college is when people asked and started asking me, why didn't you go to IIT? Mm. And then I realized there's something called as IIT, which is significantly better than <laughs> where I was. Sure. So I decided to drop off, which was a big thing for my dad. Uh, one, because he thought I just got lucky by getting into a government college. Mm. And I was making a stupid mistake of leaving that. Uh, second, he had no hopes that I would ever get into IIT. Because I was a very mediocre student throughout my life. Third, it was a big financial loss for us because I came from a lower middle class family and then letting go of that fees was a big thing. Uh, but then I dropped off, uh, worked very hard for one year, probably the hardest that I've worked in my life. Mm-hmm. And then got into IIT. And that's where 
I believe a lot of things changed for me. I started believing in myself that I can achieve anything. Which IIT did you go to in IIT the department? Yeah. Mechanical engineering. Got it. I didn't, even though I can say I love mechanical engineering and automobiles and everything, but I didn't choose it. My rank decided yeah. <laughs> which uh, uh, branch I should choose. Yeah. And I went to mechanical um, and then I worked in a tech startup for two years, okay. then went and did my MBA, uh, then worked at McKinsey for five years. Then co-founded a company called Estebon, which is fashion e-commerce. Ran it for two years, then exited the company. And then for six months, I was not doing anything. Uh, before I decided to join Xiaomi and start Xiaomi's business in India. Great. So I would have come to Xiaomi in a minute, but let's yeah. talk to through your Jabong journey. How did yes. that happen? Post so MBA. when I was doing my MBA, I was very clear that I want to do something which is more entrepreneurial, something uh, of my own or something which is more exciting. So... I decided, so in when you are an MBA, you go for the best jobs, right? And the best jobs are either investment banks or top consult firms like McKinsey, BCG Bank. In terms of payment? In, pay. in terms of pay and respect okay. that you command, right? Uh, of course, investment banks are much higher paid than consulting firms. Sure. So I decided to apply in only three companies. Apply, leave aside, get shortlist. And then people thought there were more than 300 companies coming to campus. And people thought I was being stupid by only applying in three companies. And I did not even apply to any of the investment banks, though even I had a very good CV and a very good profile. But people thought I was making a mistake that what if I don't get shortlisted by these three companies or don't get through the interview process of any of these three companies, then what would I do? And I was so clear that I didn't want to go to an investment bank job because I thought I will not learn the kind of skills that I wanted in life. If I go to a consult, I could work in different domains, different areas, different geographies, different companies. And then my overall exposure would be much better. So I applied to McKinsey, BCG, Bain. Mm -hmm. My first job interview was BCG, got through. My second job interview was McKinsey, got through. Decided to join McKinsey. And I was there for five years. I worked in India, Southeast Asia, Africa, and worked across different domains. But the, the, at McKinsey, there were two things which always I was very conscious about. One, that I was not there. McKinsey is a great place, but I knew that this is not the place for me from a long-term perspective. Mm. I was there to learn for a few years and then do something more exciting in life. Second, I want to do something in tech space. And uh, working in core tech space in a consulting environment is relatively, relatively tougher. So five years at McKinsey, I decided that uh, I want to do something else in life, something in technology space. So that's when I left with just a hope and aim that I want to do something in tech. That was the only aim. Mm -hmm. And I could see companies, great companies like Facebook, Google, many other companies around us changing the world. And I thought, I want to serve these kind of companies or I want to do something in tech rather than doing something which is more traditional in nature. That's what consulting companies typically tend to do. Mm -hmm. So the only aim was tech. Which year was this? This is 2011 end. Okay. 2011 and 12 beginning. Okay. And I was trying to figure out what to do in tech. Mm -hmm. And around the same time, Jabong was being started and one of my friends was a co-founder over there. He was incubated by Rocket. Mm -hmm. And then this guy reached out to me saying, hey, you want to do something in tech? We want to start a tech company for selling fashion products online. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a stupid idea. <laughs> uh, that was when he reached out to me, he said, hey, I want you as a co-founder. My first reaction to him was, this, is, this will never work out. Mm. Who goes and buys shoes and clothes online? The way to buy shoes and clothes is you go to a nearby shop, you try them out and then you buy them. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is a horrible idea. We should not be doing this. And we kept debating for some time. Just two of you? or Just the two of and then there was another th third co-founder and then Rocket guys were involved. Okay. And we kept debating and I said, this is this doesn't make sense. 
and uh, but they were determined and finally they were able to convince me mm. that this may work mm. because i used to think that only product that people will buy online are things like media cds at that point of time cds and dvds uh, books all these things make sense maybe electronics which you don't need to touch and feel but anything that is you got to touch and feel does not make sense for online mm-hmm. and um, they were able to convince me on at least trying it out so uh, then we started jabong mm-hmm. and i was pleasantly surprised that a lot of people were willing to buy shoes in close on soon we had gone to 1000 orders a day then we had gone to 10000 orders a day and we were just exploding exponentially mm. and for me the biggest surprise even a bigger surprise than people coming online and buying shoes and clothes online was the fact that more than 60 70% of the people were using their mobile phones this is 12 13 when there were no smartphones like today smartphones were small smartphones with 2 inch 3 inch screen like nokia n72 nokia n97 those were called as smartphones yeah. today you would not even call them as feature phones right but those were called as smartphones in that era mm-hmm. and people were using those kind of phones to open our desktop site on that small screen mm. and then purchasing from there mm. and we did not have a mobile shop mobile app or a mobile web uh, site and that was mind boggling for me saying 65% 70% of people opening a desktop site on a small 2 inch screen screen and then making a purchase from there mm. and that made me believe that india is a very different country when it comes to western world compared to western world or china where people went from not being online to a desktop to a laptop to a phone and smartphone most of the indians like my dad or my aunt they have never used a desktop or laptop the only way for them to access internet has been a smartphone yeah and for me that was probably the pivoting point when i thought of something in smartphone mm. as my career option correct but to talk more about jabong it was a great journey um i was a co-founder for about 2 years mm-hmm. and uh, we at some point of time we, we were always one of the top 2 along with mintra yeah uh neck to neck with them some months we believe we would be bigger than them yeah. <laughs> they would be bigger than us yeah. but it was great fun yeah uh i actually believe uh, uh we proved ourselves wrong at least myself wrong that people can actually buy shoes and clothes in many of these categories more yeah. high volume categories online if you'd call me then i would have told you my wife always on the phone <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so from that to switching to show me talk talk to us about that journey what made you so when i was uh, hugely yeah. fascinated about mobile as a yeah. category when i was still at japan yeah. i read a blog hmm. i don't remember which blog was this but i read a blog about a small startup from china yeah and i remember this 2013 beginning when somebody wrote this blog saying if there is one company in the smartphone space or mobile space that you should look out for mm-hmm. is shami and the person mentioned two reasons i still remember that the first thing he said that most of the companies in the mobile space are either focusing on hardware or on software and shami is the only company that he knows of which is focusing on both mm-hmm. maybe the second company after apple maybe right but among the new startups new age startup this is the only company mm-hmm. second thing that person mentioned was the fact that shami was doing things so differently that shami was selling products online through its own e-commerce platform me.com shami was not spending any money in marketing in a category which is very competitive and which is which is it is believed that one of the big levers of success is marketing spends mm. and that person spoke about the whole philosophy of shami and how he felt it was different from all other startups in the mobile space or mobile related space and this is 2013 when the company was only 3 year old and for the first one one and a half year company was just 
building the foundation mm. and not launch any products so it had been only one and a half years since the company had launched its first product so that person said this is the company to watch out for mm. and i got fascinated i asked some of my friends if they knew about shami most of the people had no idea uh, then i reached out to navin uh, who is the co-founder uh, ceo of inmobi yeah uh, and navin and amit who was a other co-founder they are great friends and mentor to me mm. in life every time i have a problem or i need a suggestion i would go to them they are one of the few people that i would go and take advice from so i reached out to both of them they said of course we know shami and lejun uh, founder and chairman ceo of uh, shami and they introduced me to ben so shami has two main founders eight co-founders but two main founders lejun who's a president sorry who's a ceo chairman uh, of the company mm-hmm. and uh, ben who's the co-founder and president of the company so they said maybe you should talk to ben because ben uh, speaks better english and lejun does not speak that great english and lejun may not have time so maybe you should talk to ben mm. and for about a year ben and i we were just in touch over emails and calls once in a while once in a month once in 45 days we would get on a call he would ask me more about india business about indian e-commerce how they shaping up my understanding of indian e-commerce and i would ask him more about shami mm. without any expectation that we would help each other or we would ever work together in life Uh, then 2013 and I was in China on a backpacking trip. I met a bunch of entrepreneurs. And I also happened to call up Ben and saying I'm in Beijing. Would love to catch up over coffee. Mm. That was the first time when I actually physically met Ben. Before that, we were only in touch over calls and emails. Uh, 2014 uh, beginning, I exited Japan. Then I was trying to figure out what to do in life. But I was fascinated by mobile as a space or smartphone as a space, and I wanted to do something in this area. So Ben reached out to me a few months after that, saying, "Hey, we know you want to do something in mobile space. We want to start our India business. Would you be keen to start our India business?" Uh, we spoke for about thirty, forty days, and then I thought it was a great opportunity, so I decided to join Shami. Wow. Okay. And and um, what made you think at that time there were so many mobile phone providers in yes. India? Yes. Right? More than three hundred. Three hundred. I counted one day when I joined. Yeah, there were three hundred, more than three hundred smartphone brands in yeah. India. Yeah, a lot of them you wouldn't even know name because many of them were city specific or region specific. Yeah, they were going to China, buying from somewhere, putting their logo and selling it here. Right, more than three hundred brands. So, what was your thesis? Why did you think Xiaomi had a chance? Uh, I did not think. <laughs> <laughs> the the jokes are part. <laughs> uh, yeah. Initially, I thought it was just exciting. Okay. It was something I. believe that Xiaomi was making great products and it would succeed mm-hmm. but initially when i went and spoke to a lot of people they said this can never work for many reasons i spoke to many experts in this domain people from telecom background i spoke to many tech ceos uh, people that i know who are my mentors i would say by and large 8 or 9 people out of 10 said it was a disaster the strategy it would never succeed Many of them also advised me not to join Xiaomi. Some mm. people, even after I joined Xiaomi, advice that before it becomes public that you join Xiaomi, you should probably think of leaving. <laughs> 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 Because yeah. once it becomes public, yeah, then you can't leave. You can't leave, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, why did people say, uh, including some of the CEOs, that it could never succeed? They said it is a flawed strategy. Mm. At that point of time, six percent of the smartphone market was online, mm. and we were thinking of going online. Ninety-four percent was offline, and the way everybody was selling was spending a lot of money on marketing and distribution mm-hmm. millions of dollars being spent every single day even small brands taking some cricket sponsorship spending some way 
So people have said the way to sell smartphones and mobile phones and other things, IoT devices, is you sell offline through lakhs and lakhs of shops and you spend a lot of money in marketing. You don't have team. I was the only team member. Mm-hmm. You don't have marketing spends. You're thinking of attacking a small segment, which is 6% on the market. Why would you succeed? It is a difficult name to pronounce Xiaomi. Nobody even today till knows how to pronounce Xiaomi. People think of us as MI. Mm-hmm. People say nobody knows what Xiaomi is. Why would somebody come and buy your product? Nobody knows what that product is. So people said it's a disaster, Mayo. It will never succeed. Mm. And I actually thought, me, I was very naive. A lot of times I used to have this self-doubt that maybe people are right. Maybe we will never succeed. Maybe it is the biggest mistake that I'm making. Maybe we'll have to shut down shop after six months. So the first one year or six months was only about survival. Mm. That somehow I used to hope that we should be here after six, eight months, one year. Mm-hmm. Because we can prove to these people wrong mm-hmm. that yes, maybe we were not completely wrong. Maybe we were wrong to some extent. Mm-hmm. We were not completely wrong and we have survived. Talk to us about that phase, zero to one, the first year <laughs> or so. What was the target? What did you work towards? Our first target was very simple. Mm. First business plan that we wrote. Or I wrote and uh, presented to a board and which got approved. There were only two things in that business plan. We will sell 10,000 phones a week. Okay. And initially only 10,000. Later on it became 10,000 a week. Mm-hmm. Initial business plan was only to sell 10,000 phones. Okay. And steady state we will have 10 people. Right. Wow. <laughs> it was a, a very simple business plan. Okay. Uh, why 10,000 phones? We had no benchmark. Mm. Uh, July when we launched, July end. Uh, so I joined the company in May. And then for two, three months, I, we were working in stealth mode. Uh, June, around sometime June, we took our Facebook page live. Mm-hmm. That was the only known asset of Xiaomi India, mm-hmm. our Facebook page. Mm-hmm. By July end, August beginning, we had 10,000 people following our Facebook page. So we said that 10,000 people know about Xiaomi in our products. Mm. The reason why our business plan said 10,000 phones, because we said at least these 10,000 people can come and buy a product. Mm. So a simple business plan was, Find these 10,000 people, sell them one phone each. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. That was a simple business plan. Yeah. And why 10 people? Because we said, even if our business grows up, yeah. maybe eventually we'll need one person for after sales, one person for marketing, one person for customer care. Mm. It was a very simple thing. Mm. So we said we will have 10, 9, 8, 9 functions. Plus I will be there. So mm. we'll have 10 people mm-hmm. selling 10,000 phones initially. And then maybe hopefully, eventually 10,000 phones a week. That was the simplest and easiest business plan that we had written. And that got approved by a board saying, okay, at least deliver this much. <laughs> That's fair. And then you raised a seed round or something like that? Or what? how is that? Is it no, no, no. So it's 100% subsidiary yeah. of Xiaomi. Understood. Level. But uh, did the <laughs> head office say you have this much money, go prove? Or like, how does it work in these kind of situations? So, yeah. So they gave us some small amount of money. Yeah. And the understanding with the board uh, that I had, the CEO on the board was that we can be loss making for a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, leave aside 2014 because 2014 was sure. just we were setting it up and it was we were present for five months but they said 2016 is the only year when you can make losses mm. that was the expectation second year on was 2017 you have to be profitable um, which means you have to make money locally uh, we can keep investing if required from a long term strategic bet like you're setting up a factory you're setting up R&D center you're setting up in few other things for those strategic things we can think of putting in money but it shouldn't happen that for day-to-day running operations, you are subsidizing those operations. That you have to earn money here, ensure that you are profitable, and then you do this. 
and these are single digit margins right Jomi, Shami, single Rokin. digit margins all over yeah. now in fact we have a board resolution that our constitution of the company says we can never make more than 5% profit margin okay from any of our hardware products why is that because we believe in a concept called as honest price okay so we say we'll cut down all possible costs like marketing distribution working capital uh, uh, inventory cost and we'll pass on that benefit to user without keeping a profit buffer margin for ourselves got it so so what others spend on marketing you spend on the quality of the phone so yes. you give better hardware better camera exactly Exactly. Right, so yeah. I'd met your uh, someone show long back, yeah. and he had expected that. Yes, that that's great. So, and then how long did it take to hit your ten k? Uh, within two weeks. Within a week. Really? Uh, wow. How did the that happen? The first sale we had yeah. uh, was on Flipkart, our partner platform. Okay. Um, and we were exclusive to Flipkart at that point of time. Yeah. Uh, for the first ten thousand phones, about half a million people turned up. I remember this. Yeah. And Flipkart this crashed is the first for the first exclusive time. launch. Yes. Right? Yeah. And Flipkart crashed for the first time in the history of Flipkart. <laughs> That's when we said ten thousand is a less number. Maybe let's start with a higher, which is ten thousand a week. Earlier it was ten thousand, whatever time it takes. Then we said every week we should do ten thousand. And then within a few months, by Diwali of two thousand fourteen, we were saying, can we do hundred thousand a week, mm. especially during Diwali week? And that was the first time we hired a charter flight to bring in the hundred thousand phones plus power banks plus accessories. At one go, and it was a big achievement for us, hiring a full plane mm-hmm. just full of Xiaomi phones and products <laughs> wow. to bring it to India. So the ten k phones, I want to go back to that because that was a pivotal moment in it. Yes, had anyone sold online exclusive launch at before? one go in yeah. one day? Yeah, no, even launched phones online at that. Uh, there was one brand before us which okay. was focusing on online, which was Motorola. Got it. Okay. Um, But I don't think Motorola. I'm not sure. I can check the numbers, but yeah. they would have never launched sold ten thousand phones within seconds. I remember, like one uh, of the founders of one of our portfolio companies said, "I tried ordering. They got sold out in a matter of minutes or seconds. Seconds, yeah. So the second yeah. sale was. Yeah. So first sale, Flipkart crashed. Yeah. Second sale, by this time, second sale happened. They created a new tech platform only to handle a flat sale. Mm-hmm. And the sale, I was there at Flipkart office. Uh, in within two seconds, it was showing all the stock. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, we had another ten thousand units coming in, mm-hmm. and I thought the Flipkart platform had again crashed mm-hmm. because how can everything be auto stock in two seconds? Yeah, and Amod was a CTO of the company at that point of time, so I turned to Amod and said something wrong has happened. Mm-hmm. He said, "Let me check." He came back within minutes. He said, "Nothing wrong has happened. Platform did not crash. Actually, it was auto stock in two seconds." Wow. So. Yeah. That was the craze at that point of time. So, how did you get the message across? Like, as you said, me phones were not known. So, how, what what got the attention of the people? Uh, three things. First uh, was PR. So, we had a launch event. We called all the journalists. Mm. Uh, it was a very small event, and we did not expect a lot of people to turn up. We invited about seventy, eighty people. Almost everybody turned up, mm. which was very surprising for us. And everybody said great things about the product. So, just from a PR fraternity. All these bloggers, YouTubers, uh, journalists—they just wrote great things about. You gave them the phones, say play. You just gave them phones to play around with. Yeah, right. Uh, that was one. Second, we did not realize the power of social media. Uh, even though there were only ten thousand people uh, share, were following us on Facebook, but there were a lot more people talking about us on social media, and that was a huge thing that we had. We never realized the importance till the time of first launch. Third was a community. We already had a fan community in India, an unofficial one. It was started by a person. Uh, his name is Rohit Kalsasi. 
he was employee number 4 at Shamu mm. India we hired him uh and he had already started a fan community in india even before shami was officially launched mm. and there were thousands thousands of people who were part of that fan community and then we after we launched we started building official fan communities we have a me community where we have 17 million meus people come and talk about shami over there online platform and we have physical fan clubs in more than 25 cities today as we speak so mainly because of pr social media and fan community mm-hmm. it just became a big rage wow. without us spending any marketing dollar so by the second year did you meet most of the numbers uh, we were way ahead yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, second year uh, we made it public uh, second um, year uh, 2006 sorry 2015 was the first year yeah 2016 was the second year in india yeah uh, 2016 we had crossed a billion dollar revenue wow. okay. in india and we were profitable so we promised to the board second year onwards we'll be profitable mm. and we were indeed profitable um uh, Uh, within a second year of existence hopefully you started listening here the profitable <laughs> part <laughs> yeah. i think it's just a matter of expectation setting because our board was very clear that you can't make profit you can't make losses from second year onwards we were always mentally prepared to and i came from a very different background which was jabong mm-hmm. where we were making a lot more losses significantly higher amount of losses mm-hmm. and we were spending a lot of money on marketing uh it for me at least jabong and shami that we were diametrically opposite because both of very fast growing companies but here it was zero marketing spend and huge focus on profitability from the beginning while over there we never focus on profitability because i believe none of our investors asked for it mm. and we were spending a lot more money on marketing i believe it's some sort of a case study because in 3 years we became the largest brand in the country and for the first three years we had literally spent zero marketing dollars for the for, today we spend a little bit of money on marketing for atl for a very different purpose but for the first three years we had literally spent 0 dollars so we went from 0 to few billion dollar from 300 brand to number one brand uh from no one to number one yeah <laughs> without spending any marketing dollar wow okay so the, this is the power of a really good product yeah. and then very smart PR social media and launch and, right yes yeah the beginning of this is product we are yeah. a product driven company if you don't have a good product no matter how what you say on social media on launch event on pr it will not work and the market was right because there was e-commerce you could sell online true right so i'm just trying to think all the things that worked for you uh, right and and the people were ready to buy smartphones yes right market was taking off yes a bunch of good factors also played in that yes. but still this is outstanding execution anything else you did differently in india as you scale further i know you guys launched stores and number of brands yes. maybe talk to us about some of those things the scale from 10 to 100 in in terms of evolution. so uh, within 3 years we became the largest and we were a dominant brand in the online segment mm-hmm. but we realized that online is still one third of the market even though online had grown from 6% 5 years ago to about one third mm-hmm. but still two third of the market was offline and we found it very surprising that we have around 50% market share in online which means if there are two people who go online they buy a shami product but we had almost 0% less than 1% market share in offline but how is it possible that when remaining two third people go to offline nobody wants to buy shami product it didn't make sense logical sense to us so we tried running offline in the beginning which was a big disaster for us it failed uh, we failed few times and then we rebooted our strategy for offline almost 2 years ago 2017 mid Uh, I remember at that point of time we went to open a first store called as Me Home Store. It is in Bangalore. 
it is in phoenix market city mall at that point of time uh, many people including the mall manager said shawmi can never succeed in offline mm. uh, they said it's an online brand people will go online and buy the product but people will never come offline mm. and we wanted to shop on the ground floor but the manager refused to give us even though we were willing to pay the rent mm-hmm. <laughs> he refused to mm-hmm. give us a shop on the ground floor he gave us a, a shop on the low ground floor and that to not in the main corridor in one of the side uh, perpendicular corridors and we didn't like it but beggars can't be choosers so mm-hmm. we debated for months and then we finally gave in we said okay let's just go with whichever shop you get it mm-hmm. it was a 600 square feet shop uh the mall management told us even if you get 100 people on the day of launch it would be a great success mm. and what we did uh, we of course had a pr launch event talking about me home but we there was a product that we launched called as redmi 4 and the first sale of product we had we launched it on this store even before one day before online and that day you won't believe it the mall manager had said even if we get 100 people it would be a big success mm. we got 10000 people walking in wow. in that 600 square foot shop yeah from more than 10 to 15 different states across india there were people coming from uttar pradesh from madhya pradesh from gujarat from odisha uh coming taking train traveling for 24 hours 36 hours <laughs> there was a guy from gujarat who came with a bag full of cash more than 1 lakh rupee cash he wanted to buy 20 phones uh and it was crazy we did one day we limited our sales to two phones a person and then one day we did a revenue of more than 5 crores from that 600 square feet shop and that was probably the turning point for us to start believing that we can also win offline mm. and after that the interesting thing is a lot of mall owners and managers called us and said can you open up <laughs> in our mall they are willing to work a lower margin yeah. they are willing to give you a good spot yeah uh, uh, but that was insane that day What were it was Xiaomi successful with offline in China as well? Were they uh, learning? No. Okay. Uh, this uh, so yes and no. So Xiaomi Mi Homes was successful. Okay. Uh, now what happened in China was uh, uh, we were the largest brand again. We started online in China. We started on Mi dot com and then started selling through other platforms like T Mall and JD. Mm-hmm. And for the longest period of time, we were only online. In India, our, even our online journey was different because we started with Flipkart, then Amazon, and then Me.com. Mm. So it was slightly different than China's strategy. Same principle. But in China, what happened was the market grew very fast, and people started moving to the third, fourth, fifth smartphone. Unlike India, where majority of people are still buying their first or second smartphone, mm. and people moved to a very high price point, equivalent to twenty-five, thirty thousand rupee Indian rupees, which is very expensive for India. The average price point in China is twenty-five thousand rupee mm. Indian rupee crore. and here in india 10000 okay so around less than half of what china price point is so people wanted to touch and feel phones because they were buying the fifth or sixth phone and a very higher asp product yeah so it's surprising uh, the share of online in china grew for few years and then it reduced a little bit and then it stabilized mm. and when it reduced and stabilized uh, we were not ready for our offline journey mm. so we uh, Learn from that mistake of China, and we started building our business, offline business in India, much more aggressively than what we had done in China. Mm. So we started building this one store, and we started building many more stores. Then we worked on multiple formats. So today we have four or five different formats that we have. The large company operated stores are called as Me Home. Then we have Me Studio, which are franchisee 
then you have rural store call as me stores, then you have partner multi-brand store call as me preferred partners. So in two years, we've built about 6,000 stores, mm. uh, out of which one third, 2,000 stores are exclusive stores. Uh, 4,000 are multi-brand stores, but mainly Xiaomi branded and Xiaomi focused. Um, we also got a Guinness World Record last year by opening most number of stores, exclusive stores simultaneously in the world. How many on one day, yeah. uh, 29th of October, uh, one day between 12 noon and 12.05, Guinness gave us only a five minute window. We opened 525 stores okay. across the country, uh, out of which around eight stores were disqualified because they were not in that exact five minute time frame. Mm. Uh, so I believe the official count was 517 or 518, something like that, mm. more than 500. Mm. And that is a Guinness record for opening most number of stores simultaneously across the world. Wow. Okay. So we now have 6,000 stores and we're the and, fastest growing offline brand. That's amazing. And most of these stores tend to get profitable within a given period of time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, because these are, most of them are small size. Mm. So we ensure that like us, even our partners are profitable. Mm -hmm. So we don't focus on building large flagship stores, except for big cities like Delhi, Mumbai, Bangalore, and few other metro cities. Mm -hmm. And most of these stores, uh, I would say 99% of them would be profitable. Mm -hmm. And they tend to turn profitable within a few months. Got it. Depending upon how big is the store, how much is the rental, where, what is the location, uh, could happen as soon as three months. Uh, in worst case scenario, it may take uh, eight, nine months to a year. But usually it happens between five, six months. Got okay. it. And the online offline split currently? So if you look at us, so I'll talk about two different parameters, our market share within online offline. And then within us, how much is the split between online offline? Mm -hmm. So um, we continue to be the number one in online, mm -hmm. it's more than 40, 50% market share. So quarter to quarter, it keeps within between 40 and 50%. Mm -hmm. uh, so one third of the market is online. Within that, we have 40, 50% market share. Then two-thirds of the market is offline. They used to have 0% market share. Now we have more than 20% market share. We have 23%. Mm. So we are number one online, number two offline. Overall online plus offline, again, number one. Yeah. And offline, we are the fastest growing brand. Within Xiaomi portfolio, uh, two years ago, almost 100% of our business was uh, online, 0% offline. Last year, it was 70-30, 70% online, 30% offline. End of this year, we are expecting it to be 50-50 internally. 50% online, 50% offline. Got it. And how much of the innovation is being done here? Like what's the Indianization you do? When? On offline? In general, on the product. Okay. On the product. Yeah. Oh, so massively. Um, the core r and still happens out of China. Mm -hmm. But the product design, product definition, uh, we're beginning to do in India. A lot of customization happens both from hardware and software perspective. I will give you examples. Uh, a simple thing. It could be a very simple thing that few years ago, white color used to sell very well in China. But Indians used to hate white because they used to believe that white will get dirty. Mm. Because there were no glass bags, unlike today. Yeah. There were only plastic bags and plastic white gets dirty. Um, or in China, there's no need for two plus one SIM slot mm. or a dual SIM slot. But in China, in India, there's a huge need for a dual SIM. And not just dual SIM plus dual SIM plus one SD card. Yeah. Because people will go to a nearby shop, give that SD card and ask them to load movies and videos. Yeah. So it's a big need for Indian customers. Mm -hmm. So a lot of phones that we launch in China have hybrid SIM slot, but in India they have two plus one dedicated SIM slot. Mm. Now it may seem like a small change, but you have to re-engineer the entire phone for the small change. Yeah. Mm. Or Indian phone comes with a dual graphite sheet. Because in India, the uh, northern part of the country can be very hot. Mm -hmm. So to absorb that heat, it comes with dual graphite sheet. Mm -hmm. All our India phones come with P2I 
splash proof coating nowadays mm. because again it is humid rainy season so phones can get conged off if it gets wet so for accidental spills and light rains we have p2i coating uh, which makes the phone splash proof Okay. Not waterproof, but splash proof. Okay. So a lot of these customizations on a product side, and then OS is completely Indianized. Thousands of features that on which are uh, customized for Indian condition mm-hmm. on a software side. Like a TV comes with the seven lakh hours of content, which is all Indian content aggregated, built here in India. Got it. This is great. This is great progress. Uh, thanks for sharing this whole journey on Xiaomi, and I think we're just getting started here. Yes. So one want to switch gears and talk about you growing as a CEO. You founded almost Xiaomi in India, or set up India and grew it. So this aimed at first time founders. So some of the, how you manage personal growth, um, how have you scaled as a CEO, some resources, techniques, uh, methods, anything that you can share. Uh, I would say uh, for me personally, two or three things have helped me a lot. One is just hiring a great quality team. And we don't realize it, or at least I never used to realize it earlier. But if you have a great quality team, they can help take away a lot of responsibility, burden, work from you. And my definition of great quality team is not people with the relevant experience. If you look at Xiaomi India, majority of the people that we hired early on and even till date do not come from any smartphone background. Mm. They come, they're smart, young, passionate. And they come from internet tech background. They come from companies like Google, Facebook, Flipkart, Amazon, Snapdeal, all tech companies. Uh, and many, many other tech companies. But very few would have come from smartphone background. Uh, so one is just hiring smart people. Uh, second, because we hired a lot of young people who did not come from relevant background, they were never bogged down by what other people were saying or industry experts were saying. And they were willing to take risks and do things differently. Which... Even when we hired some of the so-called industry experts, it was a big challenge because they always said, this is what how things happen in industry for the last 20 years. And this is how Xiaomi should be doing. Mm. And that's completely opposite to ours. Mm. And that's so true for most of the tech startups because you are trying to do things differently from what age-old companies have done for the last 50, 60, 100 years. So if you're looking to disrupt that and do things differently, then you cannot have the same mindset. Then inherently, you need people who can challenge the status quo. Or at least that helped us a lot. Uh, I would say second. Uh, third, I would say is fast decision making. And it's at least our founders gave me this confidence and our board. And that's what I would like to give to our team. That not 100% of our decisions were right. If I were to look back, I would say maybe 70% decisions were right, but 30% were wrong. And we were okay with that. Mm. We were okay with making mistakes. As long as there were two things that we were making. One, we were taking fast decisions. Second, whenever there was a mistake, we were fixing it quickly and not repeating the same mistake. There were times when I, we have made stupid mistakes which have costed a hundred of crores, but we have always vowed not, never to repeat the same mistake hmm. and which has been perfectly fine in the company. Uh, we huddle, we have a very open culture. We don't have rooms for anybody, including me. All of us have the same seating arrangement so that we ensure that everybody is treated equally. We huddle, we take decisions, we most of our communication happens over chat. And sometimes on chat, we take decisions worth hundreds of crores. Mm. And people who come and join company early on, especially from who are relatively senior people who come from other industries, they get surprised because for them, it's a very different way of working. Mm. And you need to have big meetings. You need to have proper proposals. You need to have uh, email exchange. Everything has to be documented. 
So anything which has to be legally documented or documented from a record perspective, that goes on email. Mm. But all the discussion and debate happens over chat, mm. which is much faster. And over there, we ensure and we tell everybody that everybody, all our employees are equal in the chat. And there's something called as obligation to dissent, which means even if you're the junior most team member, you can go and say that you don't believe in this idea or you think this idea is stupid or is wrong. Uh, and you will be listened to. Does not mean that you will always agree and we will do what you are saying. Right? But we will always listen to you. Mm. So without fearing anything, you can, you have a, if you believe that you are, something is going wrong in the company, you have an obligation to dissent. You have, you have an obligation to say no. And, and most of these are uh, culture codes that are from the parent uh, Xiaomi organization or some of these are Indianized or how is this? Some of them would be from the parent company, yeah. like fast decision making mm -hmm. or the fact that it's okay to make mistake, but we should not repeat mistake. I made a lot of mistake mm -hmm. <laughs> by the logic, maybe a board should have fired me four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the comfort that it's okay to make mistakes, mm -hmm. uh, just if you're not repeating mistakes and you're fixing them quickly, mm -hmm. I believe that is something which came from our parent company. The fact that everybody is equal, having an open culture, no cabins. And obligation to dissent, I would say it is more of our Indian team culture. Got it. And and everyone talks about it's okay to make, make mistakes. How do you actually show it in action, right? Or how do you make it part of the culture here, right? So most startups say it's okay, right? So have you... So I would say, um, at least in my limited experience, mm -hmm. uh, this is misunderstood a little bit. Because many people think it's okay to make mistake and okay to make decisions which can cost a lot of money to the company at the end of the day all of us are answerable to the shareholder yes right? uh, we as management of the company even if you're the founder of the company you're answerable to the board you're answerable to the shareholders and a lot of people are invested in the company apart from you mm -hmm. so you're answerable to all of them so it's okay to make mistakes as long as it's not going against the interest of the shareholders and you're not making mistakes which are reducing the value of the company or value of the shareholders mm -hmm. Uh, in our case, the way that we think about this is that it is okay to make mistakes as long as it does not make a huge impact on the overall company, on the value of the company, and you realize that you are making a mistake and you correct it as soon as possible, mm -hmm. if, if you correct it. If you keep sitting on that mistake over a period of time, especially in our industry and all most of the tech companies, if you don't correct it, that can just balloon up into a much bigger problem at a later point of time. Um, I'll give an example. Uh, four years ago, we launched a phone called as Mi 4, which was one of our flagship phones. Mm -hmm. And we made a mistake, or I would say I made a mistake, because I decided to launch a phone, a 3G variant of that phone, when India was moving towards 4G. And we decided to launch a single SIM phone when everybody wanted a dual SIM phone. And we didn't realize that the need of 4G and dual SIM was so high in India. And we decided to launch a 3G and a single SIM phone when everybody was going after 4G and dual SIM. Mm. And we ordered a huge inventory and we were sitting on it. And that led to losses. And But we had to, our board was perfectly fine. They said, okay, you have made a mistake. No problem. Uh, just figure out a way on how we can now quickly finish up this inventory and don't order more. Got it. Like, don't keep ordering more. Don't keep producing more because I have to tell our factories how much to produce. Uh, stop producing production now. Try and fix the current situation. And let's focus on what are the future launches. Got it. And then we came out of the problem. It took us a few months, but we came out of the problem. Mm. Uh, three years ago, when we started offering, we made a lot of mistakes. We failed for a year. 
before we came up with this whole different concept two years ago. So again, when we made mistakes, uh, the way that I showed the confidence of our team was even if the offline team make mistake for a year, we didn't fire anybody, we didn't scold anybody. We said it's okay if you don't make profit for four six months one year, even if this is your experimentation budget that you have, uh, you can continue to fail as long as we believe that we are doing the right things. Maybe after one or two years you will win, and we actually ended up winning. So. There is no need for us to take a knee-jerk reaction and immediately start firing people or making certain changes. That's how team starts thinking that anytime something goes wrong, because the person was fired, it means it's not okay to make mistakes. Even if I make a small mistake, I would be fired or something bad would happen. So having that stability and giving that comfort to the person, saying we would be there to give you cushion and things go wrong is very important. Got it. That's that's very helpful. Uh, maybe last question on that same theme. Any any other personal uh, resources that you use, or for personal development as a leader, any like or mentors or what what has helped you? So I have few mentors that I go to okay. and talk to whenever I want some advice. I spoke about Naveen and Amit. Yeah. They are some. They are definitely two of my mentors, but I have few more. Yeah. And how do you pick your mentors, or maybe any thoughts on how should founders think through this? So. For me, at least, there are two criteria. One, I have to look up to that person. Uh, if I can't respect that person for whatever reason, um, I cannot think of that person as a mentor. So it has to be almost like a teacher-student kind of a relationship. You have to think of that person as a. You have to maybe successful, may not be successful. That is not a criteria, but you have to look up to that person for something. Sure. That person has done. Second, there has to be complete. A freedom of or a feeling of neutrality. That person has no vested interest in you or your company or vice versa. Mm. And that is why whenever you're having a conversation, it can be a very brutal, frank, honest conversation. If you have any vested interest in each other, then a lot of time it does not end up being a brutally honest conversation. True. So for me, these are the two criteria that I follow. Got it. Great. Anything else? Blogs, podcasts, uh, reading. Any uh, favorite act- activities? So, um, uh, at least for me, uh, one thing which I try to do, I am not sure whether I can do it. I end up doing 100% of times. I learned it from my one of my mentors and I try and follow this. That over a period of time when business becomes bigger and bigger and more complex, you are not only solving problems and thinking about strategy, but you also have to take care of people mm. and ensure that you are vested in the success of other team members, uh, which can happen in multiple ways. Of course, that you ensure that they're growing. People who are performing well, they're growing well in the company. Uh, they're being compensated from an uh, equity perspective or cash perspective. But also that they have to look up to you and you have to spend considerable time amount for you. And as a team grows, it's difficult because earlier we were in one room, then one floor. Now we have multiple floors, multiple offices across the country. That they should know how you're feeling and they should be closely linked and attached to you. Mm-hmm. So the way that I try and divide my time, uh, at least try to do it is, if I can do three buckets, one is long-term planning, uh, second is day-to-day firefighting, and third is spending time with team either one-on-one or in group sessions. And one-on-one group sessions, are they not only meant for year-end appraisal, but they should be part of your weekly, monthly scheduled time, where you're catching up with teams, not only on how teams are doing, and these are not performance reviews, mm-hmm. but how they're feeling, how they're growing, and also discussing about stuff informally within work, outside work. What's the size of the company now and how many people do you end up meeting this way? So today we have uh, six offices across the country. 
we have uh, more than 1000 employees uh, but if you look at the total number of people working for Xiaomi dedicatedly it's 40000 including our factories warehouses call centers uh, service centers everything mm-hmm. uh, but they're not on a payroll sure on a payroll we have 1000 people and another 30000 40000 people work dedicatedly for us exclusively for us uh, but they work on partner pay and direct reports into you uh, i've consciously reduced it uh, two years ago it was very bad i had almost 20 direct reports yeah. which i thought was unsustainable mm-hmm. uh, the way it happened was every time you would add a new business line or a business unit that person would automatically report to me mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> he would start building warehouses the head of logistics and warehouse would report to me we start building office uh, service the person would report it's a great way for you to learn those yeah. uh, new things we started tv business head of tv would report to me uh, so we have streamlined it over last one year i would say one one and a half years mm. uh today i've been able to reduce it uh there are about six or seven key reports mm-hmm. that i have who are the cxos in the companies and they have all the other functions reporting into them which i think is more manageable for me and then there are two or three other people who are not cxo but they are critical functions where i have to spend considerable amount of time myself including government relationship mm-hmm. uh, those are the people who reporting to me who are may not be at a CXO level but i just believe that i want to be closely associated to that function so there are two or three people i'm at a non CXO level reporting to me and when you talk about one on one you spend time with all these people and maybe one level below one level below and their teams got it so uh, uh team sessions where up, so there are two kind of team session one are performance reviews mm-hmm. which are monthly quarterly or weekly depending upon which team it is mm-hmm. second is just in, in uh, sorry just casual informal catch up with the team where teams can come and discuss about anything and everything about cafeteria food transportation any hr policy anything that they feel mm-hmm. or they want to ask more about shami what is happening at the group level what is the stock price headed many other things anything that they want to ask they can informally ask during that session got it great this is very helpful last question um you understand china uh, because uh, a little bit a little bit and then you understand <laughs> india now um obviously very well so what's your um outlook for the indian startup ecosystem and the founders listening i believe it is uh, uh at least based on whatever i've seen in china and i've seen a lot more in india i believe this is the best time uh if you want to do a startup either you have to be in china or you have to be in india these mm-hmm. are the two biggest growing market of course us us is always there but outside us these are the two best markets uh, to be there uh and there cannot be a better time mm-hmm. for anybody to do a startup here in the country the market is huge and this is the right time where probably if china was 5 to 10 years be ago mm-hmm. this is where india is today internet is picking up people are going to do transactions uh, digital payment is picking up infrastructure is being built up so i believe there are enough and more opportunities and i personally believe that india is closer to china that way than many of the western countries uh because both of these countries have a lot of similarities in which they get de- they got developed or are developing mm-hmm. and india i believe will follow a lot more will be india's development path would be closer to china mm-hmm. than maybe some other western countries so i believe many of our founders can potentially learn from china uh in fact many of our uh, uh not just founders but even other organizations can learn from china how they got developed so massively so rapidly over last 5 10 years we can probably learn from them and try and replicate some of that success here in the country yeah i hope that many many product companies come out of india True. to grow to the be the size of xiaomi or 
Bigger congrats on all your success. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks so a much. lot for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. Hope you enjoyed this conversation with Mano. He walked us through his Xiaomi India journey from start to scale. He also explained how the company was able to build a huge market share within a few years of launch and about the success of Xiaomi through both online and offline platforms. Manu also talked about how the company had scaled successfully across product lines. There were some great learnings there and hope you found it helpful. Be sure to tune in a fortnight from now for a new episode of the Axel Insights podcast series. You can find more podcasts from the series at insightspodcast.in and I look forward to hearing from you at axel_india on Twitter. Thank you for joining. Music